Hey guys, what's going on? Thanks for joining me on Dystopia tonight. I am your host, John Poveromo. Um, I know, and I've been getting messages from you people and I can hear you guys. Uh, we're backlogged right now. I know we've got a bunch of episodes that are still waiting to come out. Um, appreciate you guys and your messages and sticking with us. Um, you know, there, I've just been super fucking busy. Uh, and that's, you know, that's my excuse. That's what I got going on. Um, just did an event, uh, a red carpet event. The first one for dystopia tonight and myself, uh, at the Swedish consulate in New York for, uh, a key change event, um, hosted by TuneCore, which is a music industry thing. Um, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. Tony Viscotti was there, um, Bowie's old producer, um, and just a, just a legendary music producer overall, but it was great. Uh, the whole thing was about, um, incorporating women and gender equality into the music industry. It started over in the UK. They're bringing it over to here. Um, and it was just a blast to be a part of it. We had a great time. Uh, they let a comedian near a consulate me. So that's fucking crazy and awesome. And, um, those videos and stuff will be out soon. I just posted photos. You can check them out on my Instagram. Um, also, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitch, and Apple Podcasts, where you can find us. So please subscribe. Um, and uh, I'm excited about our guest tonight. He is a legendary actor and comedian. Um, he's also got a new brand of, of hot sauce, which I'm a huge fucking fan of uh, hot sauce in general. So I, I can't wait to try it. Um, uh, but he's just a, just a hilarious dude. And I've been a fan of his for a really long time. So uh, let's bring out Bruce Baum, everybody. Give him a round of internet applause. What's going on, man? Hey, I, I got to tell you, I didn't have a chance to shave today. <laughs> I shaved yesterday. Mm -hmm. I, I used that new Schick 47 blade razor. The last blade actually shaves your ass. So. <laughs> That's good, man. I didn't know that. I had no idea. You just I, don't uh, want to get him. How do you keep from getting them mixed up? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I get. Yeah, is that where the expression "I look like shit today" comes from? It could be. Well, it depends what you shave first. Yes. <laughs> if you shave your ass first, you could look like shit for the day. I love but that. That's hilarious. Man. You look good, dude. I had a. Uh, I went and got my physical this week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Apparently, I've got an optical protrusion, which oh. means that uh, my penis looks bigger than it really is. <laughs> so. Oh well, I'm glad you could clear the air on the show. That's uh, and just my luck. Yesterday I bought some ancient grains. Mm -hmm. and they expire tomorrow. <laughs> Is that part of the rub that we're going to be using on the steak that you're sending me? Oh no, no, no! Everything uh, there is organic and lasts months. Beautiful. I'm so so excited about the hot sauce, dude. It look I read all about it. I love that you're making this kind of stuff. You know what I love about it too is that you're passionate about it. Like I can tell just the way you talk about your product that you actually care about it and enjoy it and and care if your customers enjoy it. Well, I I do it all. I grow the peppers, mm -hmm. and then I grow them organically. Mm -hmm. They're not certified. I can't pay for that. But everything else is organically certified. Wow. So, but. Uh, it's it's all I do the the cooking the bottling the labeling if I may be so bold I'll show you what it looks like I don't want to I don't want to like hammer this no no go for it we're releasing uh, actually right now this is Serrano cherry ooh this is ghost pepper with massive garlic Love that's it. this one's hot this one's not that hot but they're both hot and tasty and then. Nice. 
for the first time, I'm introducing a culinary rub. Ooh. Put it on your meat, your vegetables, or other people. And uh, if it's it, this one's not that hot because I didn't want anybody to spoil their meat, get their meat too hot. Nice, smart. Sometimes is a good thing, but um, but in case it's not hot enough for you, and you do want heat on your meat. Mm-hmm. I put a dried habanero or ghost pepper in every bottle, much like the worm and tequila. And you can uh, crumble it up, make it hotter. Not that nice. you crumble the worm up. But I like to say that this is uh, the hot sauce is something the entire family could enjoy, depending on how you raised your family. Right. Oh, my God, dude. Not to advertise for another show, but have you ever gone on uh, Hot Ones? Do you know that guy? Yeah, I don't. Uh, and everybody tells me I should. Yeah. I want to. I just have to be prepared if it, it's a big hit. And I get like, you know, thousands and thousands of uh, requests. I'll fill them, but it's going to take me a little while. So yeah. I, I, I do everything myself. But, it, you know, I'll do that when I'm ready. I just have to buy bigger kettles. Yeah, absolutely. What was the what, what got you started with this? Because I feel like I know I know a lot of people who do not like spicy food, who, who just can't handle it or they just don't understand the, the, the joy and the flavor in it. Right. But like. I've I remember the first time I tried something really hot and was like addicted to it. Do you remember like what was was it a ghost pepper? No, you know I used to not be able to eat anything hot. You know, mm. not even like medium salsa. Wow. And uh, I had head and neck cancer in 2012. Oh my god, man! And but I, I came out of it great. I had mm. seven Good. and a half weeks of uh, radiation, like 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. and then one day a week of light chemo. And as a side note, let me go this way. Mm-hmm. I was prescribed lots of pharmaceuticals. Okay. And I still have the full bottles because before I started, I told my doctors, I said, look, I should tell you that I smoke pot. And they said, well, you didn't get this smoking pot. Uh, <laughs> and they right. said, as a matter of fact, this might help you get through it. Wow. So they said, just smoke organic pot. So, uh, if I felt nauseous, I smoked. Nice. If I couldn't, if I wasn't hungry, didn't feel like eating, I smoked. Right. And if I couldn't fall asleep, I smoked. And it got me through the entire thing with without taking one other than the radiation and the wow chemo one day a week. No other pharmaceuticals. And and my radiologist, I'd say once every year or so, will call and say. I've got a guy that had the same thing you did. Uh, you want to talk to him, you know? Uh, and I tell those people, look, I don't know what your mores are, but I'm letting you know that uh, with all the side effects of all these pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. you pretty much know what pot's going to do. Yeah. So anyway, I lost my voice. Uh, as well, I'll tell you, Jimmy, Jimmy Walker called me mm-hmm. in the middle. I had lost my voice. And they told me I would. They said, you'd also lose your taste. Wow. To which I said, does that mean I'm going to come, start wearing polka dot shirt and striped pants? Right. But, uh, but Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy called and said, what's going on? I said, what do you mean? He goes, uh, I said, well, and, and I could hardly talk. Jimmy, I, I, I've got. You know what? I just want to, I just want to stop you real quick. You're breaking up a little bit. Okay. Um, it's like coming in kind of choppy. Can you do that thing where you come back in and out again and maybe it'll clear it up? Sure. Here Thanks, man. Go. Cause I don't want to lose any of the story. 
Am I still chopping? You still chop a little bit. I think your voice was coming in like you were underwater almost. You know what I mean? So I just want to. I was underwater for a little while there. (laughs) Is it okay now or you want me to leave and come back? Yeah, it's actually okay now for some reason. Okay, well, I was actually imitating not having a voice. That may have been it. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. That's crazy. Oh, no, no, it wasn't that. It was it was well, before that, but it's a funny. Anyway, I told Jimmy in a very hoarse voice. Okay. That uh, you may not be able to hear me talk well, but I'm walking around. I feel fine. Mm-hmm. I'm doing good. I said, what's the word on the street? Yeah. He said, the word on the street is you're dead. Said, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when I got done with it, I changed, you know, I was on the road for like 30, more than 30 years. And you can't eat good on the road. You go into the South. They fry everything, even the salad. You, you, wow. you, everything's fried. Right. So you really can't eat well. So all those years of that and and uh, and and filling, playing in smoke-filled rooms before that stopped. Mm-hmm. That's probably how I got. It. But anyway, yeah, uh, I changed my diet. I stopped eating uh, red meat except once in a while. Uh, more vegetables, more organic started looking at the supermarket more as a pharmacy and I uh, lost like 60 pounds, started boxing. I uh, could beat up most of the women on the block. And, uh, and I started looking for foods that had antioxidants like blueberries. And they said hot peppers with capazin in it. Uh, it's an antioxidant and I couldn't wow. find organic peppers anywhere. So I started growing my own. In the beginning, it wasn't ghost peppers. Mm-hmm. And I would start making sauces and bring them to radio shows in a jar that I just sharpied on the outside, noggin blast, you know. <laughs> and they would taste, hey, why aren't you selling this? And that went on for like three years. Wow. And then finally, I said, well, you know what? I'll try. So I I incorporated. I've got to follow all the rules and, and cook in a commercial kitchen. So I, I do it all, you know, according to the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they sell, you know, I, I do everything small batch. Every batch is a little different and they sell out pretty quick. I've got a nice little following That's growing, great. growing. So hopefully we'll be on market shelves eventually, but I'm trying to grow organically, so to speak. So every, the mistakes I make aren't with a 10,000 bottle run. So right. I've learned a lot, you know, how to package yeah. and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's been fun. So, yeah, it's uh, I'll send you some and you can try it during the show. People can watch your face. Thank you. I will. Dude, I'll absolutely do that. I love my, my friends and I. I'm stunned that we we I mean, we still we pretty much have cast iron stomachs to this day. I don't know if it's because of all the garbage we ate when we were younger. Or, you know, it should it should hinder our ability to digest food, but it doesn't. But we used to get whatever hot sauce we could find. Because, like, we used to hang out, you know, super late at night when we were younger. You know what I mean? Like, just at our friends, at, at our apartments and stuff like that. And we would order really shitty pizza. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not real pizza, but we would just order whatever was open. I right. won't name any names. But, you know, if you don't put something on it, it tastes like fucking cardboard. So we would just buy hot sauce, like, whatever we could find. Chipotle sauce, ghost pepper sauce, you know different flavors and just douse the pizza with it and then literally like just you know blow our assholes out like the next morning or whatever but uh, it was just but we would do that and it was i cannot wait to do that man i haven't done that in so long it's gonna be great all right yeah i got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got or go on 
No, I was going to say, some of it's, you have the cherry one and you have the ghost pepper one, obviously the hotter one. What is, do you have a favorite? I I like the ghost pepper. Um, when I started, it was the hottest pepper in the world. Now they've made the, the uh, Carolina Reaper. Yeah. But I find you lose taste. It almost becomes a little metallic when you get yeah. too hot. Mm -hmm. So ghost pepper for me is like the, you know, the top. If you go above that, you lose flavor. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I experiment. I've also had, you know, for Christmas, we had a Christmas line. We had uh, ghost peppers of Christmas past. <laughs> Deck the halls with jalapeno. <laughs> That's uh, great. And what were some of the other ones? Uh, yeah, we uh, come all ye peppers. So, yeah, we, uh, nice. when I say we, I mean me. <laughs> oh man it's been fun and especially with you know uh it's a little side hustle with the comedy i'd actually planned on selling that after my shows oh and i had a big show and it was march of 2020 a restaurant in yuma was gonna was carrying it they were going to use it on their menu, mm -hmm. sell bottles. And I went and did a show and sold a shitload of bottles. And on the drive home, they closed the country down because of the pandemic. Oh, because so, of the hot sauce? No, yeah, no. <laughs> so I could, I had, I, I, all my dates were canceled. So yeah. I wasn't, so I pivoted to an online store and that took me a little while. And, mm -hmm. uh, so now it's online and people can get it whether I'm doing shows or not. Cool. That's awesome, man. How is, uh, how's getting back? Are you back out on the road yet? I'm just starting. I did a, uh, I'm, I'm trying to put together a one man show. Nice. Um, and, uh, it, it'll cover, you know, not only my stand up, but, but what's gone on in my life, the situation with letters from a nut. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with that? Love letters from. I was gonna get into that, man. Love letters from a nut. So it'll have that, and just you know, I was fortunate enough to be in the very beginning of the comedy boom. I was right. at the store when we were all dancing in magic and had no idea what was coming. <laughs> uh, at that time, it was the Tonight Show. I mean, you could do Merv Griffin. I Merv Griffin. I did American Bandstand a couple times. Wow. And and. Uh, and my Douglas, but the Tonight Show was it. So if you were on the, that was really the mecca for comics. Well, mm -hmm. then Make Me Laugh came along. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that show. Yep. But that's the show that I feel started the comedy boom. Because what would happen is if people saw you on the Tonight Show and came into work the next morning, they go, hey, and you see Johnny on the Tonight Show? Oh, I missed him. Well, right. you're going to. He'll, he'll be on in a couple months. Well, I'll let you know if I see he's going to be on. What well, with Make Me Laugh, you were on Monday through Friday. Right. So people came into work and said, hey, did you see the guy last night on Make Me Laugh? <coughs> Excuse me. And they said, no. <coughs> Excuse me. And they said, well, he's on again tonight. Check it out. <laughs> so by Friday, you had a big crowd uh, watching. And we only take two or three weeks in advance. And they mm -hmm. like plug gigs. So uh, the first club to call was Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Detroit. And okay. they were the he was the Love first. Love that club, by the way. It's a great club. But we were there 
he's had like three or four incarnations of it. Mm-hmm. it was way way back when Tim Allen was still named Tim Dick. Oh man. So this was back then when the opening. I mean, they had a great little comedy community starting out. Mike Binder, Dave Coulier, Joe Napoli. Anyway, so, um, and then Cleveland, the Cleveland Comedy Club opened up. I still Mm -hmm. think the Cleveland Comedy Club and the Westwood Comedy Store were probably the two hottest rooms that ever existed. Really? Yeah, they were just incredible. What made them great? The crowds. I'm going to take this hat off for a while. Is that okay? Yeah, that's absolutely okay. You know what? Try doing that thing, though. Pop back out of the room real quick and pop back in because you're still breaking up and I want to get these stories out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just try that. Maybe it'll work. Hey, guys. What's going on? It's me. Um, He's going to come right back and we'll get him in the room immediately. And then, uh, but in the meantime, go check out our episodes that we got um, and mention us, you know, talk to us in the chat. Um, oh, good. We've got some comments already. What's going on, Gary? How you doing? Um, Dan Pasternak is watching, but he's not in the chat. Hi, Dan. Uh, and uh, everybody else is popping in. That's pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, it's going good, guys. Um, we've got uh, a weekend ahead of us. Who do we got coming up next week? Bill Persky makes a return next week. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about the rest of his career. And Bruce is back. That's better. Look at you all shiny and new. Holy shit. <laughs> um so, yes, yeah, so you were talking about the Cleveland Comedy Club. And the Westwood Comedy Club were, were phenomenal. And right. With, with Make Me Laugh, there was about eight of us. It was, uh, let's see, Shanling, Saget, Kippadada, myself, Denny Johnston, Howie Mandel. And they would use, I hope I'm not leaving it, Vic Dunlop. They, oh, would, wow. use, they would use... Uh, use us, and you'd come back like every eight weeks, and you had to write your ass off. Which you also had to do for the show because right. you, know, you were doing the show. You had five episodes. You shot it once. So we could plug it two or three weeks in advance. And the shows were sold out by the time we came to town. And Michigan and Ohio opened up the, a lot of rooms. And wow. so outside of the coasts, those were the clubs. They started paying probably better than they pay now because nobody knew. Oh yeah, hey comics. They would pay the airfare. They'd have a car ready for you. You'd have a driver for the week. And- I didn't get any of that shit. I read about it and then got super jealous when I started doing stand up. And they were like, "You get to order off the kids' meal, right?" You're <laughs> like, "Fuck, right? Hot. You want meat? You can have a hot dog." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the stuff that kills us. But um, the first time around, everybody was so enamored with the comics. Mm-hmm. Everything was free, which right. was. Well, problem because they also gave you free drinks, and there were some guys that started before the show and right. during the show, and that stopped after a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so make me laugh. Use these eight or nine guys over and over, and people saw the bottom lines and opened up other rooms. The funny bones started to open and. And wasn't it Shandling, Bob Saget was also on Make Me Laugh, and yes. Gallagher, they they got their start on yeah, that show? Yes, yes. Yeah, I got, actually, I got Bob and uh, Gary on the show. Oh, you did? Yeah. And oh. uh, Gallagher, uh, and they've said that in other things when they were around. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, we, uh, and we hung out in real life too. Saget and Shandling and I, we're very tight in the early days. We were comedy puppies together. 
Oh. So, and everybody back then helped each other, whether it was a club or a TV show. Yeah. There was a very limited number of guys. You knew everybody. And the guys on the East Coast, you either knew when they came out or you heard about them or met them on the road. Now you look at on Facebook or a newspaper and there's a hundred shows in every town. Oh God, man. And, and every, everybody's a kid. Like my dentist is a comedian on the side, you know, just right. some shit like that. That's the cool thing about the, when you guys came up, because obviously there's, I mean, I think we're experiencing a great comedy boom right now. And there's some really inventive people and, and a lot of things happening. But I think the cool thing was about all you guys back then was, is that you really did only have each other and that tight knit circle because there was no social media. So it's not like you can just go online and scroll and see what comedians are where it was. It was who was going to the comedy store and who was going to the improv or catch or whatever it was, you know, depending on the town you were in. And thank God there was no social media back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people now, if these walls can talk, they're lying. Uh, <laughs> who yeah, was because... your, who was your main crew? Cause you said uh, Shanling and, and Saget, you guys hung out with, but, but who was like the crew you came up with? Uh, Vic Dunlop, uh, Shanling, Saget. I was there a little bit before Saget and Shanling. Okay. But uh, I got there. I was part of a team to begin with, Baum and Eskin. And we had done some TV. We'd done Merv Griffin, and we had done American Bandstand and a bunch of other shows. Um, And it was somebody – we started out in college. and Again, there were no clubs or anything. Right. So what we would do, it was my, my cousin, Ken Heston, who went on to write for Taxi and and, oh, wow. and Cheers and stuff like that. Um, there were no clubs. So we would run into the, uh, we would run into like the library mm-hmm. or the dining commons. <clears throat> Excuse me. We would blow a horn, strum a banjo, get everybody's attention. that stopped serving food in the library that stopped studying. We would do about three minutes of stand-up and then run away. And then we would write a letter to the paper saying there's two guys preventing us from studying in the library or eating our meals in the dining commons because they're making us laugh too hard. <laughs> and then we would write a letter the day after that from the health health uh, you know services on campus saying we have a very odd problem here. People are coming in with broken cheeks and the only common denominator is they were all laughing at either the library or the dining commons. Oh, my God. So that's how we got started. And then uh, then we started playing bars in town for like $20 a night. I don't know how we did four different 45-minute sets. Wow. 20 bucks was a lot back in college. You know, 10 bucks, yeah. maybe split it, and you can go out on a date. Wow. But, um, yeah, so then we moved down here but but we uh that's how i started we moved down here and we were opening for scatman crothers at the ice house holy shit before it was an all comedy club right george miller Miller saw us there and said why aren't you guys doing the comedy store wow we said well we don't know how to do and he set up an audition for the following monday and we went in and we were instant regulars so do you remember who else auditioned with you? Dave Letterman. Holy shit. Yeah. We were the same light as Dave Letterman. Wow. How'd he do? Well, he, he was a paid regular right away, too. Oh, he was right away, too? Actually, he got that in that Before there was pay, so he was a regular. Right. right. Yeah. When so, did you When did you start your own room? Because I know you ran a room for a while, right? 
Yeah, in Fullerton, there was Bruce Baum's comedy crib. Mm -hmm. I was doing a character named Baby Man back then. Um, yes. I'm going to, uh, I guess I can tell this story now. Go for it. It's true. Uh, I got a call from the guys, that, the guy that owns the uh, Funny Bones, Jerry Kubark. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who I was friends with. I did all the Funny Bone. We were kind of tight. And he said, uh, I want to open up a club in Fullerton, but I don't want Bud Friedman mad at me. <laughs> so I want to put someone else's name on it. Uh, can it be Bruce Baum's comedy crib? And they offered me a percentage of what was coming in. I said, well, wow. number one, I'm going to go to Bud and mm -hmm. let him know. I, even I was a comedy store guy. So yeah. I did it out of respect, not because... I, you know, I've probably hurt myself in my career doing what I felt was was proper, but not what you. you wanted me to do. Yeah. Um, so I said, but I got to have control of the booking if my name's on it. Mm -hmm. and I want to be uh, involved in the design of the room. And I want every comic to have the first five minutes, whether it's the opening act or the headliner, without anybody serving the room. Well, they wow. can get the crowd. And they agreed to all that. So I went to Bud. And I'll tell you why I, I did that. So I went to Bud and I said, look, I didn't tell him it was Kubak. He'll know now. Um, <laughs> he just celebrated his 90th birthday. So I, uh, yeah. I went to him. I said, look, I've been offered to put my name on a club. And if they don't use me, they're going to get somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't want to do it behind your back. And I'm basically going to put it aside for my kid's college. I'm not going to get rich off of it. Right. He said, go ahead. That's fine. Wow. And he still, I still played all of his road rooms. And when I needed something at the improv, although again, I was a comedy store guy. That's where I started. And that's where my, yeah, my heart is. So, uh, so I was fronting it for the box, and, the, and uh, to get back why I, uh, I used to ask that on the road too. I'd say if the waitresses, and there was only one club where a waitress said no. Um, but I said, look, if you could guys just give me the first two or three minutes mm -hmm. without serving the crowd, I will tell the crowd to tip you several times. Nice. They always did very well. Cause I would say, you know, the waitresses, you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to make your Wednesday feel like a Saturday and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. I gave them, None, none of those things where they've got drug problems too and stuff. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but here's what, and I, and I explained why. I said, it's like a television show. If you come in and catch the first two or three minutes, and that's when every comic's trying to make the audience, the audience in the first minute decides how they're going to, how much they're going to like you. Right. And what they're going to let you get away with. Yep. So I said, you know, I, it's like the, if you come into a TV show and you catch the first two or three minutes so you know what the plot is, you can leave and go to the bathroom or grab a sandwich and come back and you're not lost. Right. But if you miss that beginning, you got nothing invested and you might not pay attention, change the channel. I said, so let me get them. I only need a minute or two. Then you can come in and they know what I'm about. Right. So that's what I said at the club, whether it's the opening, the middle or or the headliner, they need the first two to three minutes 
to show the crowd what they're about and to grab them. After that, if you talk to them, they've already decided they like you, you know? Yeah. So they'll come back. So that's really smart, man. I wish most clubs would do that kind of shit because I feel like they just throw you out there and it doesn't matter. They just want a body up there. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, again, it was my, you know, when you're on there for years looking at the crowd and stuff, you realize it's that those first couple minutes are where people deciding and then you want to close strong. You know, you, you want them to like you. Mm-hmm. I've only got a minute or two for that first impression. So I thought I first I thought you were going to say you wanted them to have that five minutes because that's what everyone was going for on the talk shows. You know what I mean? They wanted that first yeah. five minutes clean and and whatever it was been quiet. But it makes sense. Yeah, it's um, funny. Yeah, you know, in the beginning, nobody wanted prop comics on their show. I had a very tough time until Make Me Laugh. Mm-hmm. They wanted prop comics. Uh, but I remember I went to do Arsenio show. And I went without, I had the props in the trunk, but I went in without props. I figured this, I, I, I was proud of my stand-up. Yeah. And I I, I, I wanted to do a stand-up set. So everybody who said, we don't want props, I could say, look, here's the tape of me just doing, so I get there and they go, where's your props? They go, <laughs> well, I kind of wanted, well, you don't have any props? I said, yeah, I got some in the trunk, but we'll go get a couple. So... <laughs> You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. When was the when was it? Because you know, I think uh you're one of the ones that does it really well. It switches between props and regular stand-up. Because you, you can tell right away when there's a guy or a comic on stage who usually relies heavily on one particular thing, whether it is a ventriloquist who's just kind of dabbling in stand-up, um, or magic or whatever it is. But you always seem to hold a great balance between the two. What was the point in your career when you were like, I gotta do I really have to mix in both? Yeah, I guess it was in the beginning when everybody was saying you need some stand-up. Because up to then, if I came up with a good stand-up line, I'd sometimes give it away. Oh. Uh, or So, uh, yeah, after Make Me Laugh, I would go to Make Me Laugh and spend like 2000 bucks in a Toys R Us and then come home and decide how to use that shit. Right. Uh, but uh, I started writing stand-up. And, uh, and, again, it took a while for people to accept – I mean, live they accepted it, but mm-hmm. TV show they wanted props. So, um, but I, I try to do the show that I'd want to see. I'm fast. Mm-hmm. I try to be fast moving. It was also a problem on the road when you have a different sound and light guy every show. Right. Because I would come into a town if I was there for a few nights. I'd say, look, I can I can work with any screw up. Mm-hmm. I said, so the first show, if you mess up, here's the cues, but don't freak if you miss it. Well, when they bring a new guy in every night, that gets a little frustrating because, <laughs> you know, so so I started leaving. And then the flights. I used to travel with a truck. So I started driving. Wow. I got to the point. I used to do a bit where I had, I did a, a Tina Turner bit. And I had mm-hmm. blow-up dolls dressed like the Iquettes. <laughs> on a machine with motors that would shake like this. So I would do Proud Mary. Uh, I'd do an intro, you know, you start things off nice and easy. Mm-hmm. And, and they would start shaking, then I would pick them up. So I'm driving across country. Actually, it was with Dave Coulier way, way, way back. We're driving from nice. LA to Detroit, mm-hmm. 20 minutes from where we got to go. Which, by the way, on this trip, 
I told Dave, get some sleep. I'll drive as much as I, I would drive like 18 hours and mm -hmm. say, okay, Dave, I can't drive anymore. You're going to have to drive for a while. And he, okay. So he would get in the seat like 20 minutes later, Bruce, wake up. I'm too tired. And I go, I drove 18 hours. You've been driving. 20 <laughs> so anyway, we get all the way to, to Detroit and we get pulled over and I've uh -huh. got these dolls. So I don't know if they're looking for a pervert in town. But I've got this shell <laughs> on the back of my truck, and there's three blow-up dolls, scantily dressed, a machine. Oh, I used to have these uh, breasts with propellers on it for baby men. <laughs> well, I had one propeller. They were DC-10 tips. You know, there's lines we used to do back then you can't do anymore. So anyway, I got we got pulled over by the cops. And this happened mm -hmm. several times where I have to say, okay, I'll open up the back of the truck but I want you to know what you're going to see and mm -hmm. why you're going to see it. So <laughs> you blow up dolls. I'm not a pervert. As a matter of fact, I got to tell you, you know, they did a, uh, this just entered my head. They, about a year or two ago, they did a, th they do it every year. The most depressing professions there are. <laughs> and for years, dentists were number one. It would always be dentists, I don't know whether I don't know what the hell they have to be. Yeah, Maybe right. What the people fuck? People say you're not a real doctor. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they're depressed. They only got to know from here to here, and they don't even have to know about the tongue. Right. And, and if it's really bad, they send you to a different guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why they're depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Uh, so in the last one, it came out and the most depressed profession was comedians. What? Yeah. And I put online, that's a positive thing. When I started, we weren't a profession. <laughs> now it's legitimately, I mean, you'd be as a kid, you'd watch comedy. You go, ah, I like to do that, but there's no avenue, you know? You know what's crazy about that? I feel, I mean, I'm not, you know, it's true. I mean, we all, to a certain extent, deal with some kind of fucked up something, right? I mean, there's very few of us who have it like, I mean, maybe Seinfeld is like a, a golden child. I have no idea, you know what I mean? Where he seems, he seems level-headed and adjusted, I guess. But like, I do feel like there was this boom towards like um, podcasts with comedians explaining their fucked up trauma, where half of the time I'm like, okay, yeah, we've all got something in our lives. But I was like, it can't affect everybody that deep. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I think it's just about, because people would listen and they'd make money off of it. And I feel like that was just, I think comedians are just kind of like, whatever gets my shit out there. If they want me to hear them tell my fucking sad story, then yeah, I'm going to say I'm depressed. And then it just circulated in the news. And then all of a sudden we all became sad clown, happy clown. You know, kid. I was, I was, I grew up, I had a, a great childhood. Mm -hmm. My mom, uh, Nothing she did really, but, you know, I would get, uh, my brother and sister have some issues, not, not in life, but just with her. Right. She's 92 and she's very good physical shape, but her, her she's got dementia right now and also. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, but there were things that, you know, I, I always got good grades. Mm -hmm. I got into UCLA, but I was never in the scholarship society. I was always like one point shy. And my mom every year would say, all the other mothers are going to the scholarship banquet. 
you know. <laughs> and I go, okay, I'm going outside to play ball. It yeah. never bothered me. Right. Anything she, I had a great dad. My dad. Mm. Um, so it never bothered me. I had great friends. It was like happy days. I'm still friends with a lot of the guys. Oh, nice. So I wasn't one of those guys who had a sad childhood. I, I suppose, you know, if I were on uh, America's Got Talent or American Idol, I could make one. Dude. Had, you know, I had surgery when I was five weeks old. and five That's years. exactly it, man. They yeah. They want that fucking sob story where you yeah. lived in your car and you know, it's, it's insane. I, I actually, I mean, not that, you know, but I used to think about that. I used to be like, I would go out for those auditions for those shows and I'd be like, they're not going to be able to get shit out of me because I'm, I'm just like, if anything did happen, I'm like, okay, you know, well, like, I don't know. I'm over it now. I don't need to talk about it. I've been on shows where they try to drag shit out of you and they're like, but, but don't you think that and I'm like, I don't really think anything about back in the day. I just kind of fucking plow forward and I'll be, yeah. in, I'll be in the dirt one day. Yeah. I've, the past has never haunted me. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a pretty good past and yeah, it's, uh, and hopefully I've got a great family, my wife and kids. So very nice and my mother and sister. So yeah, it's, it's, but yeah, you watch those shows, you go, I don't have a sad enough story to get on. You know? <laughs> exactly. And you I don't want to make one up either. Cause it's kind of fucking disingenuous. You know what I mean? And plus, you know what? I always felt really shitty when like, people would say shit about their, their mother or their father. You know what I mean? Like when you could tell it wasn't legitimate and they're like, they're in the audience somewhere and then they pan to them and they're like, yeah, I'm that asshole. I guess you gave him a fucked up, but look, he's on TV now. You know what I mean? It's yeah. You say, you know, when I was about five, I was raised on a farm, a tractor ran over my throat. They said, I'd never sing. <laughs> then the guy comes out and sings La Boheme or something. Yeah. Yeah, wow. exactly. I know. <laughs> And it, and it always applause and just tears. That's how fucking stupid America is half the time, though. You know, they just buy into that shit. Right. So there should be a, actually. You know what? We should have a show called Sob Story. You know, they used to have one. I don't know if you remember. This. I only remember this goes on when I was a kid, and maybe it's online somewhere. It was called Queen for the Day. Oh no, and I don't know that we one. We have like three women come on. And tell sob stories. Uh -huh. And, they, and the, I think the audience would vote. And the, the person who had the worst <laughs> story, <coughs> excuse me, we would get like a washer and a dryer, you know? Right. No, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's crazy. You know what? Sob story. That That's a that's a good show or a good podcast. Where maybe two or three people, they try to outdo each other with their sob story and oh. the winner gets a, a box of Kleenex. Yeah. I think you just described every day job I had. Um, <laughs> like just in the work lunchroom would be like, everybody would try to outdo each other. It's, it's weird, man. I, those shows, uh, that would be a good podcast though. I think that'd be kind of fun. They should have comedians judge those stories. They should and make fun of them. Yeah. But you know what? No one gives a shit if you're resilient. You get no points for that. No, no. They're like, the oh, are you doing right? fall, the better it is. Yeah, exactly. Especially in like the Twitter world that we're leaving into. I feel like, like that's one of those things where like I, you know, Twitter has its uses and shit like that. But I feel like it's the only place where people seem to ask people who are just naturally unwell advice about leading their lives. And I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> like if you, like if you had a fear of flying and you were in a plane, would you would you want to go to the guy who's eating peanuts and listening to music and having a blast for advice, or do you want to go to the dude who's like freaking out, like screaming about the wing? You know what I mean? Like, what would be the difference? 
And they're both life coaches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they've got all the self-help books and shit. Um, I want to I want to go back real quick. I don't want to ask you because there was did you have uh, a plan in mind? Like as far as like, because I know the comedy story and you said going to, on Carson was like the big thing. But I mean, like, what was your because you, you started acting and stuff like that, too. Did you have that interest going into stand up? Did you see it as a stepping stone into other things or were you pure just road comic? I was. Well, no, no. I, you know, when I started, there really wasn't even a road. I actually, the first time I went on to the, at the comedy store was before Mitzi had it, Sammy Shore, her husband. Right. I was on a date. Uh, I start. I, 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 so I was on a date mm -hmm. and everybody was bombing. And, and I, that was the place <laughs> you would take a date. I could get in, I looked 21 and, to really impress a girl. Mm -hmm. At that time, the big guy was Gabe Kaplan. You hoped Gabe Kaplan showed up because I think Welcome Back Cotter was on and he was hot on The Tonight Show. So I went to Sammy Shore while I was in the crowd and I said, can I go up? <laughs> sure. Uh, this was before you had to audition and stuff. Right. So I went on and I killed. I get off stage and all the comics come over and Sammy, hey, where are you from? How long have you been doing this? I said, I I'm from L.A., and that's the first time. Sammy goes, come back tomorrow night. So wow. I call all my buddies from high school. I said, you got to come to the comedy store. I went on last. No, you didn't. I went, yeah, I did. Come on. At the comedy store, I said, yeah, I'm on again tonight. Come on. Mm -hmm. So they all came out, about eight or nine of them. It was probably the biggest bomb I've ever had. Oh. You could hear the cars going by outside. <sighs> <laughs> their drinks because all the spontaneity spontaneity of the night before yeah all of the basically playing with house money from the night before it was gone yeah so i didn't go on stage again at that time i i, I probably was a freshman at ucla i was playing football there mm -hmm. and i transferred to uc davis to, i wasn't going to be a pro i made the team as a walk-on oh. so i I went up to UC Davis and the first day or the second day up there was when my cousin and I started running into places and doing comedy. So I never went out for the team, even though they were expecting me. Right. Played intramurals, but we just started doing comedy and uh, we wrote, uh, we wrote a play called how about and a screenplay called what are we doing here at the university? We actually staged how about we, we, we were, we took theater arts classes and they normally at UC Davis would take one director and one writer, match them up, mm -hmm. produce their plays on campus. Oh, wow. So they told us we couldn't direct it. And we said, well, wait a minute, you're still involving two. We wrote it, but we also want to direct it. They said, you can't. So we rented a theater off campus and ran against the the campus plays we outdrew them like 10 to 1 we got great reviews got letters from norman lear and alberton so we came down here we had interviews with them so we, we, in the beginning we got some positive feedback uh and then again we went to the comedy store after the ice house that kind of well you know you can't do now a lot of the stuff not just that i and, and my partner were doing 
I look back at some of the routines guys were doing back then when the world was our playground mm -hmm. and they have since put fences around it. <laughs> uh, I used to say when you saw a, TV, a comedian on TV, you saw him caged. When you saw a comedian live, you saw him in his jungle. Absolutely. So um, back then you could do – nowadays, if, if you improvise a line that offends somebody – it's up online the next day and you may have some detractors and some supporters, but you go, that's not comedy's not supposed to be something you fight about. Right. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, it's, it's weird cause it's, you know, it's, it's obvious when it's like somebody super famous and it happens because I think it happens to people who are more famous, you know, because whoever's doing it wants the press for it. You know what I mean? If they're a jerk, they want the clicks. So some of, a lot of it's disingenuous, you know, but like for the most part, when I'm on the road now and I'm in the clubs and stuff like that, the clubs are pretty great. Like the people in the audience know they're going to see comedy. It's very rarely like, you know, what they make it out to be like online. You know what I mean? Like it's <clears throat> so that's a good thing. I think I hope, you know, um, I know, you know, you see some of the people in your peers and stuff like that who are like way famous kind of get thrown under the bus sometimes by the media. But yeah. Uh, other than that, I think I think it's starting to even out a bit. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think it's starting to get a little bit better. And, you know, I hope so. So I went to UCLA. Then I went mm -hmm. to Davis, got my B.A. in political science. Nice. Then I uh, applied for graduate film school at UCLA. This is while I was playing at the comedy store. Mm -hmm. Now I never really took any classes. And most everybody that was applying to their film, because it's a world renowned film school. Yeah. Everybody else had been making films since they were in diapers. So <laughs> I went to the head of the screenwriting department there and said, look, uh, I probably don't have the grades if everybody needs a 4.0 to get in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not someone who's been doing this my whole life. But here's a screenplay. This was a, what are we doing here at the university that I wrote with my cousin. I said, but here's a screenplay I wrote. He read it and waived all grade requirements and got me into the school. So my student films at the time had Robin Williams, Dave Letterman. Nobody, wow. none of us were known at the time. Right. Letterman, uh, Saget, Shanling, uh, Robert Wall, oh Bobby Slayton, Barry Diamond. I mean, it, 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 did I say George Carlin already? No, no. Wow. George Carlin. So I went to film school so I could physically know how to put on film what I saw in my head. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> the day I got my diploma, someone ran down the hall going, hey, I just invented video. Because <laughs> so, you used to have to, when you when you edited, if you didn't like it by a frame or two, you'd, you'd cut it, you'd right. retape it, you'd send it, you'd look <clears throat> at it in the movie only, you'd send it to the lab, Mm -hmm. And then you see how it looked. Now you make the change with a you know a button push, take a look how it looks, and then you render. So right. You know, so so what I've done is I've always shot on my own. Uh, for two years, I was at Fox at Comic Strip Live and Sunday Comics, making a film a week. Uh, I know people that may be watching remember Dimples the Cow and Bruce and yeah. 30 Dirty Dances with Wolves <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I also kept shooting on my own. If, 
And that was two years on America's Funniest People. But if they wouldn't greenlight one of my sketches, mm -hmm. I greenlighted myself and I shot it on my own dime and accumulated the stuff over the years. And right now, actually, I have a channel on YouTube called uh, Personal Stash. Nice. You can actually get there. Just go to brucebomb.com. There's a button there that takes you. But there's uh, just finished season one. It's 10 episodes, about four minutes each. But the P I've got a piece on there called Clown Away. At the time, right. nobody was known but George Carlin. It was shot at George Carlin's house. Wow. But Gary Shandling, Carrie Snow, uh, and the clowns in the piece are George Carlin, Bob Saget, Bill Kirkenbauer. Kirkenbauer did make me laugh a lot too. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, the, uh, so those are really the guys that like sprung, you know, everything open. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so all of those films that I spent my own money on and, and I'm also shooting new stuff. As a matter of fact, I've got a piece that'll be debuting and maybe you could do it on your show. Love to. By the hot sauce. Yeah. Facial culinary reviews. And what it is is you eat something and someone else reviews it by the look on your face. Oh, that's great. That's genius. So uh, I'd love to do it. All right. Well, you'll I'll come back, come back on with us when we do it. All right. We can do a little thing and you go ahead and, uh, and if it's this, this one's not hot enough for you, let me know and I'll make the next batch a little hotter. Absolutely. Will. can you tell me a little, when did you make uh, Marty Feldman's eyes? Uh, the knockoff of the Betty Davis song. Knockoff? She she ripped me off. I had my song out first. <laughs> Kim Carnes, right? That's an interesting story. Uh, I heard the song, because I've done a couple novelty hits since then also. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, Don't You Wish Your Boyfriend Was Bald Like Me. Um, <laughs> so, um, so that song came out and I think Weird Al probably beat me to the punch with another one rides the bus, but he was just starting out. Yeah. And I did uh, Marty Feldman eyes, which was a spoof of Betty Davis eyes. Mm -hmm. All we did was copy the clap track. The <laughs> and we did it with trash can lids instead of whatever she used. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of, did more towards Ave Maria than we did towards Marty Feldman, Betty Davis eyes. Right. So we recorded it with, by the way, I could probably do this now. The original version was Eddie Money and myself. No it's way. Correct. And his, he was coming off a situation where he was paralyzed in half of his body because at a party, someone offered him some Coke and it was heroin. And he went into coma and almost died. And that's why he was out, you know, out of the public eye for a little while. Wow. So uh, his backup band, uh, Dick Bright, who co-wrote the song with me from San Francisco, does all my music with me, did the music for Baby Man and he and, and my album, Born to be Raised. Um mm -hmm. He got any money. He's in San Francisco. He knows everybody from Ella Fitzgerald to Hugh wow. Lewis. So he got Eddie Money's backup band and a couple other guys. And we we, we were going to do Marty Feldman eyes. Well, I got after uh, he heard it 
uh, what we were doing, Eddie asked whether he could sing on it. So I went nice. up to Eddie's house. He was still walking with a cane wow. and he was doing exercises in his pool. He was coming back from that. His manager was Bill Graham, not the religious Bill Graham, but the country <laughs> promoter. Right. He wouldn't let him on stage until he lost the limp. Wow. They were kind of hiding that. So I don't know whether I'm spilling the beans, but I think it's pretty well known. Uh -huh. um, so I couldn't release the song with him in it, although I do have it. Oh. I probably could now put it to the video. Yeah, man, you yeah. should post it. I will. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So um, he came in and the words are a little, the outro is a little different because <laughs> it's involved. Um, so we came out of the studio on a Sunday night in LA mm -hmm. and Jimmy Haskell, very famous arranger, Simon and Garfunkel. I think he did the sounds of bridge over trouble water album. And yeah, and yeah. Look him up. Just, Tons, he did. tons. Well, I took off right out of the studio and headed to New Orleans. He was at a station called KIQQ in LA at the time. His publicist or the mm -hmm. record company guy. And he was playing songs for the morning team there. And they said, nothing. Do you have anything, any novelty, something funny we can play in the morning? Mm. I said, well, we got this. It's not on record yet. It just came out of the studio. They heard Marty Feldman eyes and started playing it the next morning. It became top 10 in LA, New York, but it became what they call a turntable because the records weren't made yet. Nowadays, you'd go online and there'd be a million sold like that. Yeah, yeah. Then it was just call and request. So it became a hit while I was out. I came back from out of town. It was being played. So what happened was the first day or two it was on, uh, the song Marty Feldman Eyes was written by Kim Carnes and uh, no, it was written by Donna Weiss and Jackie DeShannon. Okay. I was a big fan of Jackie DeShannon. I'm a right. big fan of Van Morrison and she sung Warm Love with him. I oh, saw yeah. them live together. That's right. After that. So I called and asked for permission to use it. They said no. So we changed the tune. So we weren't. <laughs> and the song came out, their lawyers called the station and said, we're sending over a deceased and desist record, cease and desist. Mm -hmm. uh, cease. We're going to send over a dead body. <laughs> Man, they were serious. They weren't okay. fucking around. Yeah. Uh, they said, we're sending over a cease and desist <laughs> a letter, so you have to stop playing that song. Jesus. Patient general manager said, if that letter gets here, we're playing it every hour on the hour. <laughs> so they called my, they so uh, was it ASCAP? ASCAP, we were with ASCAP, calls me and says, listen, we're giving all the royalties of your song to Donna Weiss and, and, and Jackie to Shannon because your song was inspired by their song. I said, well, um, it's not the same tune. We changed yeah. it. And they said, well, it was still inspired by theirs. Oh, my God. I said, God. well, are you giving Betty Davis all of their royalties? Because she inspired their song. Good call. And there was a little pause there. I said, um, 
that's basically my case and I'll go into court with it. And nice. they, they dropped it. That's she, great, man. She didn't like it. Uh, People magazine did a, a thing towards the end of the year. They asked all the stars, their favorite song of the year and their least favorite song of the year. And they asked Kim Carnes. She said her favorite song was Start Me Up by the Stones. Mm. And her least favorite song was that piece of subpar trash by Bruce Baum, Marty Feldman Eyes. So I got called by Newsweek, Rolling Stone, and People. And they said, how do you react to her calling your song subpar trash? Mm -hmm. I said, well, her standards are a lot higher than mine. I just consider it trash. <laughs> so I tried to look comical and yeah and gracious and i said look i like her song and you know what that spawned if you look back now if you if you go on to youtube tiktok instagram facebook everybody every song has a thousand variations either people yeah. thinking or changing the tune so it's become a common practice now yeah, I can't think of what the there's a guy on Instagram that I fucking love. He he um he he's just I think he's a producer. I think he I think he he's a, maybe a DJ too or whatever he is. He's a really popular account where he compares all these songs that have sampled off of each other like over the years and it's fucking awesome, but it's wild because it's like, you know, you're like how are people not suing each other in the music industry left and right like all the time because, you know, like even the new Harry Styles uh album that came out one yeah. of the songs, and I thought this when I heard it, because I'm pretty good at picking that kind of shit up, too. Um, this guy's I don't know if he's got a team working for him or what, but he does it so quick. Uh, one of the Harry Styles songs sounds exactly like um, the AHA song. Um, oh, my God. Talking, I think uh, it, it was uh, it was by ABC. Oh, was yeah. AHA, uh, uh, wait a minute. Don't say it. Right. Take on, take take on, on me. You. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it's like the same exact shit sample it. Here's what I'm thinking. You got to re-release Marty Feldman Eyes because if Kate Bush can have a song that goes to the charts after 36 years, you and Eddie Money can go. I don't think Eddie Money's around anymore, but you you guys can go to the top, right? He passed away, didn't he? Yes, he did. I, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. May he rest. But that's what I'm saying. You can, you can have a, a number one hit and uh, his family will get some royalties too. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know why people don't want people to memorialize their songs with takeoffs because it it keeps your <laughs> absolutely in the groove and and lives forever. Yeah, and what's funny is is that she inadvertently gave you more press than you oh, would yeah. have had if she had just said nothing about it. Right. Yeah. Have you ever met her? No, I don't think she wants to meet me. No, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have you both on at the same time. We're gonna have a healing episode of this. That's fine with me. I have nothing against her. No, I know, so. but that'd be hilarious. I wonder if she's even still. I don't, you know, I don't know what she's doing, but I think she's still around. I don't know what she's doing. Yeah, that's crazy. That is a that is a great fucking story, though. I had no idea that Eddie Money was a part of that. That blew me away. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, but that was a fun time too. There was like, uh, again, the, the world was our playground, and yeah, and uh, 
Who was somebody, because you, you worked with a lot of these guys, but you came up with a lot of them too. So, you know, I mean, Carlin, Robin Williams, like all the, all these. Carlin was already big. I used to, when I was a kid growing up, my dad, if, if we were in bed already and there was a comic on TV, my dad would say, okay, if you're still up, you can come watch the comic, then it's right back to bed. So, you know, Carlin, Jackie Vernon, Jackie oh, Mason. I love Jackie Vernon, by the yeah, way. One yeah. of the best, underrated. I love Jackie Vernon. Frosty so many, the Snowman, you can't beat him. Right, right. There were so many guys back then that growing up, and you never thought I'm going to be a comedian because, like I said, there was no pathway. Right. And so I really don't, you know, I had planned on going to law school. So when I started doing the comedy store, I actually started as a singer-songwriter. I would, I wrote songs and I played, and my parents would never come. I was, you know, but as soon as I started doing stand-up, they, they came out. As a matter of fact, one of the things that transitioned me from songwriting to doing stand-up, I was writing songs in, in the vein, I'm not going to say as good as, but the Neil Young, Van Morrison kind of vein. Right. And, and Kinks, that's my... So um, I'm playing a little place in the valley, San Fernando Valley, and this had to be 1960. And uh, <laughs> Good, Good Earth Cafe. And it was like, it was at a place where everybody had a, it was like one of those marketplaces where everybody had a booth, mm. you know, like one store. It's like almost like an indoor swap meet, but there was like a, a health food restaurant. Oh. And they had, uh, you know, entertainment on Fridays and Saturdays. So nice. I'm playing one of my songs. There's maybe seven or eight people in the crowd. <clears throat> Two dogs walk in and right in front of me start mating. Just <laughs> going at it. And I mean, you know what it means when they get tied? A lot of people don't know what that. No, when what does it mean? When they're tied, they're actually, once the male penetrates, they turn around and they're ass to ass. <laughs> Okay, with, with the male's dong hanging down. Right. So they start doing that. I stop. The crowd stops. And I said, you know, this really pisses me off. They know they're not on till after the juggler. <laughs> and the laughs that I got from that were like, holy shit. I have to play a song for three minutes to get this. Right. And 10 seconds got me, boom. Oh, my so God. That's, that kind of started the transition, talking more between songs, cracking a few jokes. Um, so, yeah. I. Uh, that may uh, be the greatest comedian origin story I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you know what? When I was in junior high and high school, Mm -hmm. I would run for office and I was usually up against the most popular kid in school. And I would just yeah. do, again, I didn't know I was going to be a standup. I would just do a funny speech mm. and I would win. I mean, it was just jokes. Yeah. I got yanked off in high school. They, they have to approve your speech first. <laughs> so I got approval. I don't think they read it properly. Because I got as soon as I got off stage, I got yanked into the principal's office. Oh because God. I went to uh, Van Nuys High School, and they may still, but at the time, 
they had a farm about three blocks away so that kids who wanted to go into farming and stuff, that was there for them. The same way Pierce Junior College is in the area for... So... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> where was I going with this? <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> they had a farm. Yeah, yeah you're saying... How did, I, how did I start? To, oh, oh, Okay. For my speech. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the pot taking a little hit there. Uh, <laughs> so, so the speech I gave in high school, I had been cracking jokes. And I said, look, and as far as farming goes, I was raised in a rural community. And uh, this is the joke that got me yanked. Uh, and uh, I know a lot about farming. As a matter of fact, there was the day I remember I was walking down the road with one of our bulls and a neighbor said, where are you going with the bull? I said, I'm taking him down the road to mate with, with one of our cows. <laughs> I said, well, can't your dad do that? I said, no, it's got to be a bull. And uh, so anyway, I got yanked off for, I guess, doing animal love. Unbelievable, man. That's so great. And I said, it's in there. They, they pulled the speech. They went, yeah, it's in here. <laughs> oh, God. I love getting away with shit like that, though. I I used to be, you know, people say, were you the class clown? Yeah. I was more the class producer. I would pay someone to go. <laughs> Although I did get, I did get, you know, back when I went to high school, you could get swatted in junior high. And they would swatted you with a oh you mean they paddle. could actually hit you literally yeah. swat you gotcha yeah. with, a, with a wooden paddle with holes in it you had to pull your pants down so the skin would suck into those holes i had a first grade teacher that was left over from that generation because she did actually hit me with a ruler and she got fired because then they found out she was like secretly beating the shit out of the other students like we all like <laughs> it was a weird day it was a weird fucking day and for, I can't even remember. I think her name was Mrs. Gregory, this fucking cunt. Uh, she, she, um, she was, it was like a weird, weird, I don't even know what it was, but like some of us would like come back where she would like, you know, students would come back crying from like different events because she would like give them like an Indian burn or like squeeze their arm. And we would all kind of tell each other as kids and it never happened to me. And then, um, but no, what he knows what to fucking say. You know, you say your first grade teacher's mean and they're like, sure she is. You know what I mean? Nobody gave a shit. And it was in Arizona at the time too. So they were like, all right, we'll walk into the desert and disappear, you little shit. So like, it didn't matter. But then um, one day I like dropped my pencil on the floor and I went to go pick it up. And I guess she thought I was like not paying attention because she said to put your pencils down anyway. And she just took a ruler and fucking right across my arm. Oh, wow. And whapped me. And then the end of the day came around and I was still like, couldn't believe it fucking happened. And I walked out when my parents came to pick me up in school. And uh, my mom was like, what happened? What's, what's the matter? You know, like, how was your day? What was going on? And then I was like, I don't know. <laughs> she was like, you know, and I'm usually like I am now. Like, I was even when I was a kid, I was very talkative and shit. So she was just like, well, what, what's going on? And then she saw like a mark on my arm. And she was like, what, what happened? Who did this? And I was just in my head. I was like. You're never going to fucking believe this. And then we we literally, like I said who it was. And then she, and then she hit you for saying fucking. No. 
<laughs> yeah, oddly enough, when I was four, um, <laughs> I had a mouth like I said. No, uh, and then we, I remember going home and like we had a, t- we talked about it. And then my mom told my dad. And then the next day we had a meeting with the principal of the school. And yeah, and it went down like that. And then all of a sudden, like all these other kids started coming forward and she was banned from teaching and wow. and gone. But it was, it was fucking surreal, dude. But nowadays you'd be rich. I yeah. Got- I got beat up by my junior high gym coach. Yeah. But it, it, this shows you how wow. things have changed. I remember today, uh, for, I didn't remember it yesterday. You know, I, um, when I was in elementary school, Tommy Baldwin hit the teacher. And that was like the most, whoa. And this had to be like early elementary school. But when I was in junior high school, I had an anti-Semitic gym teacher (laughs) it was after school sports we were all out on the field playing football and mr michelson got on the microphone boy look who's out there it's the jew he's gone (laughs) jesus christ the jew and i turned around and went fuck you michelson and he came (laughs) fucking tearing out of the gym office in just a pair of shorts grabbed me brought me into the gym Meanwhile, you see like 50 faces pressed against the window to see what's happening to me. Oh, my God. Fucking ramming his, you know, that hurts when you take a finger and ram and slapping me. Oh, my God. And, you know, you're trying not to cry, but your lip is like. Yeah. Like like a like a one of those twang. What a jaw harp, like a jaw harp. (laughs) (laughs) So. When he gets done with me, I walk. My dad's a lawyer. I call, I walk out of the gym office again, not crying. Yeah. I go to the payphone, call my uh, call my dad, and I said, "Dad, yeah, what is it?" Mister Michelson beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> and they were down at the school the next day, but that wasn't illegal back then. No, yeah, you could. Yeah, so, everybody got to take your day their day out yeah. on you. Yeah, he got uh, chastised, but nothing happened. Nowadays, he would have been fired, maybe prosecuted. But absolutely, again, it rolled it rolled right off me. I, I never really. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think people they still can't figure out what what why some people hold on to shit and some people don't. I have no idea why. I for the most, you know, I don't either. But it, it, I don't know. It's it's one of those weird things, man. Everybody's different, obviously, but um. I, I do find that kind of interesting where it's like, well, I think for the most part, I just choose to continue my, like I, I, this is what I was thinking. So the other day I'm on the boardwalk at Jersey shore. Right. And, uh, I go into this restaurant to, to, uh, to use the bathroom and, uh, I come out of the stall and there's a dude, an older guy at the urinal, buck ass fucking like pants down, moaning i don't know if he was passing a kidney stone or what the fuck he was doing but just hand on the wall and you know no one wants to see an old man's ass when they get out you know whatever but i just i was like that's a thing and i just (laughs) washed my hands and walked out and i was like i wonder how many people would have been legitimate and then i just went about my fucking day like i you know but it wasn't you know but i know that there's some people who would have been like oh my god like what a but i just i don't know i was like eh, fuck it Maybe like the guy seems to be having a good time. 
And hey, it's something new, something yeah. you didn't expect to see when you woke up in the morning. Exactly. And I don't think he walked. I mean, look, worst case scenario, he walks out of there with his pants down. I'm pretty sure somebody's going to notice and have him arrest. Right. So I'm like, you know, he's doing what he's got to do. Yeah. There's a. Um, yeah. That's the. It makes a good, you know, reasonable argument for people not wanting to spend more time in the bathroom than they have. You know what I mean? I, I love that there's all these arguments over who gets to use the bathroom. Like, how much fucking time are you spending? in a public restroom where you get like, that's what goes on in public restrooms. <laughs> like, are you now, that have, me? now that people have their phones, they can actually watch a TV show while they're taking a crap. So, <laughs> that's true too. Absolutely true. Um, I want to thank you for coming on, dude. I'm going to definitely keep plugging the hot sauce. I cannot wait to try it. Um, and, I, and we're going to bring you back when we try it on the show and stuff like that. Absolutely. We're going to do that. Um, but I got to ask you the big three questions we ask every guest that's on right. the show. First one is, if you can go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today? Uh, as a younger self, what would I? Yeah, any age, whatever age you want to go back to, you're you're shaking yourself and giving yourself some advice. Uh, wow, that's tough. Uh, what would I tell me? Uh, yeah, pro probably maybe uh, eat better. Yeah. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. I hear you. Cause I, I think I would have told, I, I, I think about that sometimes too, where I'm like, I didn't eat too poorly, but you know, I would have eaten even better. Cause I probably didn't think I ate bad. Yeah. You know, you, I mean? I, you know, you'd go, you go to Burger King or Jack in the Box, you figure, okay, there's vegetables between the buns, you know? Yeah. Dan Pasternak said, don't curse out your gym teacher. He thinks that would be a, been a good one. <laughs> Is Dan there with you? No, he's not with me. He's watching. He's watching live. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eating healthy. So the second question is, um, what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? What kind of what? What had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? What had to end? Yes. Probably my quest to become a lawyer. Oh, wow. Was that a hard thing to give up? I had already applied to law schools. I think I was accepted to one when I said, you know what, I'm going to give comedy a couple of years. And my parents were, you know, they weren't behind it when I was singing songwriting. Mm. As a stand-up, they were fully behind it. They would come to my shows, come to Vegas. So that's great. That's. Did they get to see you, like, make it, like, yeah. really enjoy your career? They they got to see that. So that's awesome. And I could pick their. It was also because when I was a kid, when they went to Vegas, when they took the kids. There was nowhere to go except your room and the pool. Mm. There was no rides. There wasn't stuff for kids. I remember, though, the f they took me to see two comedians live. These are the first two comedians I ever saw live, and they're at different ends of the spectrum. Okay. The first comic I ever saw live was Red Skelton. Wow. Very clean show. Yeah. I remember laughing a lot. The second night, we went and saw Buddy Hackett. <laughs> Holy shit. I was laughing so hard because I got to hear that language. It, wasn't, yeah. it didn't even matter if the joke was funny. I remember him doing a thing. This is how 
about uh, Tom Jones with a frog in his pants, you know, so it, it looked like uh, it was moving around us. But I remember, you know, it's funny how you remember things when you were a kid. And like, for instance, I remember going to a Dodger game when they played at the Coliseum with my dad. Mm. And I remember sitting like way up high, looking down, seeing Duke Snyder, Gil Hodges, Charlie Neal, Sandy Koufax. And I can see that like a picture in my mind. But I couldn't tell you what I was, what I had for breakfast, what I had for dinner, or what I ate at the game. It was, it's amazing how these little snapshots, you know, you were talking about that earlier about things you remember. Yeah. There's things that you remember about a certain day, but that's all you remember. And you can't remember what happened the day before, the day after, but they're burned like a picture in your mind. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean, man. And we, it's, I have that thing where I'm going through um, friends, friends photos now, because I was always that guy who like I was the photographer of the group. I'm not a real photographer, but like, you know, we would go out, bam, I had a phone or a camera or a digital camera or whatever it was at the time, taking all these photos of everything, parties, me and my friends just going out, goofing around and shit. So I've got hard drives, all these photos on them and I'm going through them now. And sometimes I'm like looking for a photo and I realize, oh my God, it's just, it's just a, it's a very clear, distinct snapshot in my brain that I have. And it was never tangible. It's weird. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Uh, last question we have ties into the show. Uh, if this was a genuine dystopia and you could have either aliens or zombies or a comet headed toward earth or whatever your situation is, it's the last day on earth for everybody. Uh, how are you going to go out? What would be your epic death? I would like to be having sex. <laughs> That's great. After a, a very strong J covered in hash and and wax. <laughs> Any hot sauce involved? And some hot sauce. Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. And, but can I go out on a joke? Absolutely. This will just be a joke joke. So this is for people that are watching the show and they go, gee, so this is, you can tell this at work, tell this at the office, but just a joke joke. Okay. Two old men are in a Walmart and they bump carts into each other. One old man says, the other old man, gee, I didn't mean to bump into your cart. I'm looking for my wife. The other old man says, I didn't mean to bump into your cart. I'm looking for my wife. The other old guy says, well, what does your wife look like? The other old guy says, well, she's about 20 years old, blonde, blue eyes, big breast. Today, she's wearing a, a low cut top, high skirt, fishnet stockings and high heels. What about yours? Guy says, doesn't matter. Let's look for yours. <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking beautiful, dude. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's great. My pleasure. And the sauce will be in the mail within the next couple of days. I cannot seriously cannot wait to try it. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Yep. Hang out backstage. I'll be right with you, man. Hang on one second. I'm just going to wrap time, up. By the way, can I say that? Yes, please. Had a great time. Thank you. It means a lot to me.